You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Everybody and welcome and welcome back to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me, your host, Kenny Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. Hi, and welcome, and welcome to all of the new people. Hey, the couple thousand who are here now. Wow. Um I'm not I'm not gonna lie, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, because I've had this influx of like lessons and follows, and then the TikTok has just gone wild because i gained was it 40 40 something thousand followers in five days which is i mean it's a lot of pressure now because like now there's even more people paying attention to me rabbiting on about weird historical stuff that i find interesting but anyway new listeners might as well jump in with this if you want to if you like if you like this podcast if you think you know what yes I do enjoy your work. I want to I want to make sure more people hear you. Um, go on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review five stars. You can say anything. Nobody pays attention to what you actually write. You know, as long as it's not creepy. Like, don't put creepy stuff in there. Like, I'm, I trust you that you're not going to do that. Um, but what it does is it, anything that you rate and review and you actually write something in, it just boosts up Apple's, like, algorithm and it means that more people get to see it, it goes up the charts, and it really helps me out. I think you can also rate and review on Spotify as well. Other networks, um, I'm not sure how that works, but there we go. Um, This is actually the first episode I've recorded in a while, um, partially because uh, I haven't been able to. Oh no, that's not partially, that's basically I haven't been able to. So my laptop that I've had for like a decade, almost, not quite, like eight years, I think. It died. Um, it, it had been dodgy for a while, but I thought, I can make it work. Um, so I've been saving up for a new one. I even set up a GoFundMe. So like, if anybody wanted to help, they could, you know. Eh. Like, I'm not going to push somebody for it because, you know, 
there are people more deserving of funds than me. But if anybody wanted to help, I thought, ah, sure, why not? Pop it there. It'll be fine. And so uh, I should be able to afford a new laptop within the next couple of weeks, if all goes well. Which I'm fairly certain and quite hopeful that it will be. So this is all recorded and edited and all that stuff on my phone. So I want to apologise if the sound quality is really dodgy or the editing is janky because that's on me. I'm doing my best. I wanted to I wanted to make something because I do have so many more of you and I just I felt I felt bad to be honest for not making anything. Oh, if you're new as well, don't listen to like the first five episodes. They're they're not good. They're really dodgy. And the shark arm murder, I sound as if I'm on helium or some kind of methamphetamine. I'm talking so fast. So what I am going to do is I think I'm actually going to re-record those so that they are better now that I've got like audio equipment and stuff that I can actually use, you know, once I get the laptop sorted. Like I want to retell those stories in a way that's, you know, not shit, you know. Anywho, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber jabber and fact me. In fact, you, I will. But first, we got to get our source on. Our sources are... The case of the murderous Dr. Cream, the hunt for a Victorian-era serial killer by Dean Job. It took me so many takes to get that right because I kept tripping up over Victorian-era serial killer because it's, it's so many E's, it makes your mouth go wide. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, we also have um, a prescription for murder, the Victorian serial killings of Dr. Thomas Neil Cream by Angus McLaren. And on top of that, we have smithsonian.com, Murderpedia, and Murder by Gaslight. So, are we sitting comfortably? Good. So I'll begin. Thomas Neil Cream. By the way, I feel like I should mention that the reason that so many, like, serial killers and stuff have middle names isn't because more serial killers have middle names. It's just that... In order to differentiate them from, you know, people who are not serial killers, we usually add the middle name in just to, just to be sure, you know. Thomas Neil Cream was born on the 27th of May, 1850, in Glasgow, Scotland. I mean, we can take half the blame for this, but um, he was raised in Canada, so Canada's also going to have to say sorry about this. We have Cream, who emigrated with his family, not on his own. That'll be weird. He was four years old and they moved to Quebec. Um, his father, William Cream, he becomes the manager of this um, shipbuilding farm and sorry, shipbuilding and lumber farm in Wolf's Cove, which is pretty close to Quebec City. So Cream, he just so happens to be the oldest of his siblings and he's the oldest boy. So naturally, it is assumed that he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. Um, this turns out not to be the case, because, uh, he gets bored by wood, apparently. So he does start off following his, his dad's footsteps. He starts apprenticing and shipbuilding, and when his dad ends up with his own wholesale lumber business, because, you know, upward motion and stuff, Thomas Neil Cream is helping his dad out. But then he kind of doesn't really feel it, and he decides... To go to uni. 
But what did this infamous Dr. Cream look like, I hear you ask? Well, see, here's the thing. He, he kind of looks like a hamster cosplaying as a human. Also, he, he was unfortunately um, cross-eyed. But he was rich and a doctor. So in Victorian England, you know, that wasn't really the worst you could get. He had a, a moustache. And uh, yeah, that's kind of... I don't really have a lot else to say about him uh, aesthetically. So uh, in 1872, in October, um, he's like 22 at this point, he goes to McGill University in Montreal and he studies there up until 76, so he's there for four years. Oh, and he's studying medicine. So while he's at McGill, he basically earns this uh, reputation for being, well, rich. And the terms I think were used were wild and extravagant, but... He was showing up in fancy clothes, he had loads of jewellery. In a show of, look what I have, um, he ends up with this really, really fancy carriage. Because, you know, no ordinary carriage will do. He's a material girl. Sorry, I just think it's really funny that like, I don't, that like, to this day, men are still really obsessed with like, their wheels. It's just... All right, nice. So he graduates from McGill with merit and he gets his medical degree at this crowded ceremony on the 31st of March, 1876. And the address that was given to his graduating class was, uh, yeah, the evils of malpractice in the medical profession. Which, um... Cream is very much going to show this because, well, his thesis, <laughs> his thesis was on the effects of chloroform. Like, that's what he did. Because it, it still wasn't as widely used when he first started writing about it. I mean, it was gaining popularity, sure, but he became, like, super into it. So he graduates. He's now Dr. Cream. And he meets this lovely young lady, Flora Eliza Brooks, who just so happens to be the daughter of a really wealthy hotel owner. Well, he knocks her up, she gets pregnant, and Cream decides he's going to perform an abortion. Okay, needless to say, this does not turn out well, and Flora becomes really fucking ill. And once her dad finds out what happened, he tracks him down. He goes and finds Cream, drags him back to Waterloo, Waterloo, and he forces him to marry Flora at gunpoint. I mean, it, it, it quite literally was a shotgun wedding. I'm not sure if it's very cowardly, very clever, or very courageous. I think I'm leaning more towards being both clever and cowardly. The day after he gets married, the very next day, he goes on a ship and sails to England to quote-unquote continue his medical studies. He ends up going to um, St. Thomas's Hospital in London and he basically attends lectures and he works there a wee bit for um, two years. But um, surprise, surprise, this Lothario just can't, just can't keep away from the ladies. So during his time in London, Flora, Flora his wife, basically has uh, bronchitis and apparently 
dies of consumption. However, our doctor is really fucking suspicious and she thinks that her death is linked to these um this special medicine that her husband had lovingly sent her to help her with her conditions. I mean, the doctor doesn't do anything at the time, but he is legit convinced that Cream poisoned his wife to death. Does he rush back to bury his bride? Of course he fucking doesn't. No. No. What he does instead is he goes up to Scotland for a wee bit, gains a qualification of the Royal Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons in Edinburgh before heading back to Canada on May of that year. He sets up a medical practice in London, Ontario, not London, England, and starts a career as an illegal abortionist. So one of the reasons that Cream actually goes back is he's planning to get his wife's inheritance because of fucking course he is. So he's back in Ontario. He's there for like a year at this point. And there's an outhouse behind his office building. A body of a woman is discovered. Um, her name is Kate Gardner. And next to the body is a bottle of chloroform. The police are like, this is a wee bit A, convenient and B, suspicious. Because there's a woman in this wee building behind your building and she appears to have died as a result of consuming chloroform, inhaling chloroform, which is something you specifically stock and have a habit of making quite a bit. See, another wee thing that would have aimed some suspicion at Cream was that Kate Gardner just so happened to be his mistress. Huh. Mm. So, when the inquest happens about Gardner, basically, Cream's like, oh no, that woman visited me on several occasions, but I refused to provide her with abortificence. Like, he was saying that she tried to get him to perform an abortion. He said no, and so she stole the chloroform and ended her own life. He... I mean, I okay. I don't know. I don't know what you know about chloroform, but here's some basic things. You really have to get a good inhale of it, and one of the reasons it works so well is the more panicked someone is, the more they, you know, inhale. And depending on your size, chloroform will have a different effect. Whereas, like, if your 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 body mass comes into it, like if you're big and burly and strong, you're gonna take more chloroform to become like a pain reliever. But if you're a young, small woman, it's going to take less. Anyway, Kate Gardner's death is, you know, ruled as suspicious and that she died from chloroform administered by some person unknown. They didn't have quite enough evidence to convict Cream, but the suspicion was mounting against him so much. He had to close his practice and get the fuck out of Dodge. And so he left Canada for the Windy City. That's right, Chicago. So he basically sets up a medical practice near the West Side's um, sex work district. And very, very soon, very quickly, he becomes known to police as a backstreet abortionist. 
And so they decide they're gonna they're gonna make sure that they keep a wee eye on him, you know? Because he has a habit of catching police attention because he, he's one of those people who thinks he's smarter than he is. So the cops, they're keeping a wee eye on Cream, obviously. And he, they're very aware that he's performing these back alley abortions. And so a lot of the sex workers in the area, they go to him because, well, they don't really have a lot of other fucking options. So one such woman, Mary Faulkner, uh, she dies as a result of Cream's surgical ineptitude, really. But there really wasn't enough evidence to charge Cream with. Later on in that year, in December, Ellen Stack dies after taking medicine that was prescribed to her by Dr. Cream. So even though we know that he prescribed the medicine, even on her deathbed, Ellen refused to admit that she'd even gone to see him. You see, I mean, she was an Irish Catholic maid um, for like this Chicago businessman and the mistress of the house had even said, do not go near him, stay away from Dr. Cream. So whatever Ellen's condition was, the lady of the house did not want her going to see that dodgy, dodgy fella. Whether it would have caused a scandal or whether she actually cared about, you know, the people under her, I don't know. But Cream having the audacity, here we go. So Dr. Cream tries to blackmail the pharmacist that, you know, made up the medicine for Ellen. He's like, I know you poisoned her, you altered this medicine. And the pharmacist, who's like, just a pretty stand-up guy, is like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And he goes to the police. And the police go, yeah, 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 whatever, it's fine. And no charges were brought forward. Like, what the actual fuck? In 1881, however, they do manage to get enough evidence to put cream behind bars. You see... Again, he's so fucking cocky. Cream starts an affair with a woman called Julia Stott. So Cream, he's desperate to make some money because, you know, he is. And he decides to put an advertisement in a Chicago newspaper for his anti-epilepsy pills, which he claims to have created. Which is what brings the unfortunate Daniel Stott to the door. So he is marketing these pills as like a cure for epilepsy. And Julia's husband sends her into the big city to pick up the pills. Over a period of time, he manages to convince her to, like, set up a life insurance policy for her husband. So she does. He, he gives her pills full of strychnine. Fucking strychnine. Instead of having something nice and slow and, you know, kill him over a period of time that would not be really fucking suspicious. Not that I want to give um, any murderers out there tips but like oh fuck it's so stupid so she gives daniel the pills and he basically dies within minutes when stott dies as we know cream is you know knocking boots with the missus mrs stott he convinces her to blame the chemist for administering the wrong pills and you know because he's trying to he's trying to build up a body of evidence and as such he telegraphs the coroner to tell him that the chemist fucked up that you know Get the blame away from himself, you know, from the poison that he fucking made. But anyway, 
And because he was, and because he sent the fucking telegraph, right? Because he did that. The coroner was like, oh, I guess this isn't an accidental death after all. This is more likely to be foul play. Because, you know, oh, what? Somebody messed up the medication. Somebody died. Oh, no, that's a shame. You know, he probably would have blown it off. It probably would have been fine. But because Cream was so desperate to lay the blame on someone else, he just incriminated himself, which is just fucking typical. So the coroner is like, okay, I'm going to test these pills just to rule it out because he's got a wee suspicion, you know. And he feeds them, I'm sorry if you're an animal lover, he feeds them to a dog and the dog dies 15 minutes later in what I can only describe as... Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. A lot of pain. Um, yeah, sorry. He almost gets away with it. Because of the audacity, he just, he just can't, he just can't stop. And he's a greedy motherfucker. He decides to um, throw suspicion on another fucking pharmacist. Okay, he decides to throw suspicion on a person when there was no suspicion to be thrown. There was no reason for this. He just, he just fucking felt like it. Like, how... You you were free. You were, you were home free. You had managed to not get caught. And now you're like, you know what? Uh, there's just not enough danger in my life. I need to, like, get caught. Uh, okay. Okay. He sends a letter to the coroner uh, accusing the chemist of poisoning Stott. Because Cream decides that he would sue for damages on Julia's behalf um, by blaming, you know... Stott's death on the fucking pharmacist <laughs> and the coroner's like no no it was an epileptic fit don't worry about it um, and he just ignores Cream's letter and because Thomas Neil Cream just really wants to fucking get his hands on that money he goes over the coroner's head to the district attorney so the DA, he gets Daniel Stott's body exhumed and they found enough strychnine in 
in his stomach to kill like three people, like three fully grown men. And basically, Cream gets charged with second degree murder because they were like, it wasn't the chemists, it was clearly you, motherfucker. So obviously the trial happens and Julia Stott takes the witness stand and absolutely 100% exposes Cream. She like tells them the whole story, what he did about the pills and how she's, how she was seduced by him. Like the whole fucking enchilada. Now, so Cream, he actually tried to flee, but um, they caught him and he ended up in jail. So And so Thomas Neil Cream is sent to prison to the Illinois State Penitentiary in Joliet. And he's given a life sentence. Unfortunately, a life sentence doesn't actually mean life. And he gets released from prison in June of 1891 because his term is reduced. So his term was reduced to 17 years and then he got an early parole for good behaviour or some shit. I don't fucking know. Maybe they were like, oh, we can't afford to feed this one, send him out. Um, And oh, he hasn't killed anybody while he's in here. Well, you're not exactly his target fucking audience, are you? So Cream, he's in prison for 10 years. He's 10 years in, he's got a decade behind him and his father dies, making all of the Cream boys, all of his sons, really fucking rich. And now that Thomas Neil Cream is a wealthy, wealthy man, he, uh, strangely, for no apparent reason, now that he's super duper rich and family has a lot of fuck ton of money, his life sentence, his life sentence in prison is mysteriously commuted. It's okay that you murdered this person and we're fairly suspicious that you murdered this other person. But uh, you're free to go. Have fun. Toodaloo. Thanks for the uh, donation. So yeah, in 1891, Cream was set free. Bye. He, you know, he gets out of jail. He passes go. He picks up 200. And... Goes to Canada for a wee bit, but then goes, oh, it's a bit hot up here, I better, um, <clears throat> I better skedaddle. And he heads off to merry old England. Hooray. Yeah, so he's back in the land of fish and chips. And he goes to London and he sets up this kind of medical practice in Lambeth. And he basically, he kind of he goes off the deep end because prison sort of made him worse. Than he already was. He's drinking heavily, he's taking drugs, he's, you know, just being a general arsehole. And Lambeth itself is like one of the poorest areas, or at least it was, in London. And the poverty there is so rife that, like, he has a perfect feeding ground of victims because they absolutely have nowhere else to go. So, like, there's this police report from when he was in, sort of, the dodgy areas of London, when he was sort of hanging about the streets, and he would just go up to random strangers and ramble uh, less than pleasant things about women to them, and he would also show them porn. Like, he would carry around pornographic pictures. Like, he, he kept, like... Whatever the Victorian version of porn was, he had pictures and he would 
just show them to people like in the street like that is that is not clearly enough people were worried that there was a police report on this specific incident like what so over the next seven months he starts um poisoning people so in october 1891 cream meets with ellen donworth a sex worker and they have a drink and she goes home she gets to bed and she's found sort of slumped over and they think she's drunk but she's having these spasms and she's in excruciating pain um, she is being taken to the hospital, but she dies on the way in fucking agony. And, like, she's known about the area. So people say that, you know, they saw her walking with a cross-eyed man in a top hat. That would be our Dr. Cream. Two days later, Matilda Clover, she has a drink with Dr. Cream and... She dies. Everyone assumes it's alcoholism because she did like a wee tipple. But um, she was poisoned by him. Uh, He may have killed some more people between that and the next two. uh, But we just don't have any documentation of that one. But I find it really fucking suspicious that he just didn't do it. uh, Because, you know, he's a prick. And a murderous prick at that. In in April, sorry, 1892, he accompanies two sex workers home, and that's Alice Marsh and Emma Shrivel. And they both also die in excruciating pain, both poisoned with strychnine. At this point, the police are very aware that there is a murder on the loose, and... He he probably would have gotten away with it because he was, you know, a well-to-do person. He was a doctor. He was from a rich family. He probably, you know, could have avoided being caught if he wasn't such a fucking prick. He manages to just draw such unwanted attention upon himself because he decides to write letters accusing different people of the crime Um, But he writes using, like, nom de plumes and pseudonyms and all this kind of shit. And he just keeps accusing all of these, like, really respectable people of of murder. Um, And, like, one of the the letters mentions, like, Matilda, Matilda Clover from before. But no one thought that she had been murdered up until that letter. On top of that, he managed to not finish the job at one point. So there was this sex worker... um, Lou, I don't know her second name, but her name was Lou, and he had given her some pills, and she was like, I'm too drunk to take these, this is probably not a good idea, and she throws them into the river and manages to, like, not die, which is good for her, we like her, we're glad she survived, and she manages to, like, come back later on and testify against him in court, your eminence, wait, what's the name of a judge? Your honour, there, your honour, there's the fellow that gave me them pills. On top of, you know, uh, <laughs> writing these, like, fake accusatory accusatory letters, he also starts bragging to, like, friends 
and he starts talking to them and telling them um, all of this information about the crimes that, you know, only the killer would know. And one of the people he decides to have a conversation with is a former New York detective, John Haynes, who is like one of Cream's buddies. He's his pal. And he takes him on a tour of the murder scenes. Why don't you just, why don't you just hand yourself in at that point? I really don't. So after being taken a tour of the murder locations, Heinz is like, okay, I'm going to do a wee bit of background check in here. And he finds out that Cream, who had like changed his name like a bunch of times, was the Thomas Neal Cream, who had gone to prison for poisoning somebody and everything that went with it. In Scotland Yard, they're really starting to get pissed off about this and they are following Cream. Because not only are they on the lookout for the Lambeth killer, but they are collecting all this info. Um, Like Matilda said, that a cross-eyed man with a moustache gave her pills. Emma Shrivel and Alice Marsh said that they took pills off a cross-eyed man and he gave them long pills and, you know, then they died in their house. And of course we have all of the blackmail letters that he's sending to like doctors and uh, wealthy people and all this shit. And they're physically handing these letters in to the police. And they're like, hey, this is the exact same handwriting. Kind of illegible, kind of scratchy, like a doctor's. So when Heinz comes to them and goes, hey, this is a bit weird. Let me share this with you. They go, okay. They also notice that the murders stop for a period of time when Cream takes a trip home to visit his brother in Canada in January. So when it all sort of accumulated between, you know, a bunch of people, victims and so on, literally describing this very specific um, aesthetic of Dr. Thomas Neil Cream, the collection of blackmail letters that were, like, by Dr. Neil, Thomas Neil, Neil Cream, so on and so forth... Also, in addition, furthermore, the retired New York policeman that he informed of the crime and took a fucking tour of it. What? Who then told Scotland Yard, who then... All of these added up and resulted in, first of all, cream really being put under surveillance. And this is like a multi country sort of investigation you had people over in like the US and Canada who were like investigating cream and then you had obviously the UK were doing the same thing and um oh this is actually and um it okay so there's this inquest um held by Athelstan Braxton Hicks and the reason I'm saying Athelstan Braxton Hicks is I just wanted to say the name Athelstan so there's an inquest held in July 1892 um, and there's a letter signed by Jack the Ripper stating that Dr. Neil was innocent, which made like everybody laugh. But the jury um, is like, yeah, Matilda Clover died from strychnine poisoning, which was provided by Thomas Neil. So they're learning about Thomas Neil cream and... One of the things that comes up is obviously the fact that he was convicted for murder by poison in 1881. And so, you know, this all comes together. And on the 3rd of June, 1892, 
Thomas Neil Cream was arrested for the murder of Matilda Clover and on the 13th of July he was formally charged with the murders of Matilda and the rest of the girls. So he gets this, um, but at the inquest, right, in July, there is a letter which is apparently signed by Jack the Ripper and it's read by Athelstan Braxton Hicks. Now, I just wanted to say the name Athelstan Braxton Hicks because it's it's really nice. If I ever get another pet, I'm naming it Athelstan because that's just, oh, it's like Abernathy. It's just a lovely name to roll off the tongue. Anyway, so when he's arrested and charged, he's like, I couldn't be the murderer because this is, because I'm only Thomas Neal. I'm not Thomas Neal Cream. And it's like, all right, that's not, no, okay. No, you're the same person, motherfucker. We have a description. Oh yeah, you both have the same name and also look remarkably similar and also have the same accent. (laughs) What the actual fuck? Anyway, so... He goes to trial from the 17th to the 21st of October in 1892 and the jury deliberates for 12 minutes, finding him guilty on all counts. Yes. And justice is served by Justice Henry Hawkins, who sentences him to death. And on the 15th of November, 1892, Thomas Neil Cream is hanged by the neck until death at Newgate Prison by executioner James Billington. So basically, as he was on like the scaffolding and he was about to have a short drop and a sudden stop, apparently the executioner says that he was starting to say, I am Jack the, you know, trying to claim he was Jack the Ripper. But first of all, MO completely different. Just anyway, even the victims weren't the same type of victim, but we're going to discuss that at another point. And I mean, if nothing else, Cream was in prison during the Ripper slayings. Like, he wasn't in the country. He couldn't have done it. And in death, he's treated like every other, you know, fucking criminal. He gets buried um, the same day beneath the flagstones of the prison, uh, marked by, like, an initial. And then in 1902, the body's disinterred, and the body is moved to London's Municipal Cemetery, and he is buried in an unmarked grave in Section 339, so... Fuck you, sir. Fuck you. Now, and so ends the story of Dr. Thomas Neil Cream. I am so sorry it took this long to get this episode out to you, but um, I am hoping this is all okay because this has all been done on my phone, so hopefully this is fine. But let's um, finish off with what we learned today. What we learned today is that straight white men really do have the fucking audacity, don't they? Really do. Like, I mean, apart from the fact he was clearly a fucking sadist uh, who liked to have control and wanted, who just enjoyed women having agonising deaths, even if he wasn't there to specifically watch over it himself. On top of that, um, the fact that he thought he was smart enough to, like, extort people and blackmail people for crimes he fucking committed, like, okay... And, like, the fact that lots of the female victims, they had literally described cream. If you had just gone out at Lambeth at the time, taking a wee scour around, you would have fucking noticed them. Like, this is why I'm very much in favour of believing victims. Like, I'm a, I'm a believe victims first, and if we make a mistake, I'm sorry. But the amount of times women have been 
spoken over and 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 been invalidated and lied about consistently like I would much rather believe a victim first and be proven wrong than allow someone to be hurt and another person to be destroyed just because you didn't want to upset somebody's feelings like what no fuck you anyway (laughs) what we learned today is men have always had audacity uh we should believe victims and you know being uh, and also like the illusion of wealth and social standing really gets you away with a lot like doesn't it just anywho uh uh, let's do a recommendation time. You know what I'm going to recommend, actually? Toast of London. I started watching it and I'm fucking dying. It's Matt Berry is an absolute genius and he's hilarious. Um, For listening, I'm going to recommend the Queen's podcast. Um, Not as in the Queen, but Queen's podcast. And their stuff is really fucking funny. They're funny, they're smart and... They tell the story in a way that I really appreciate and um, I I may even use them for research uh, in the future because their their stuff is so good. I love it. Anyway, um, I'm going to really try and edit this together now and I don't know how well it's going to turn out. So um, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review five stars. If you're on Apple, uh, when you're you're reviewing, let me know how this episode turned out. Because I'm going to be too scared to re-listen to it, I think. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I hope you all had a really great weekend. And um, I am going to, I'm going to chat to you next time. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.